0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. After unhappy scenes at the Pacific Islands Forum, Scott Morrison is making a tour of Vietnam and then France for the G7. But his attempts at diplomacy are held back by his position on climate change. Paul Bongiorno on Scott Morrison, Out in the World.
1: Prime Minister, welcome. Thank you, David. Is it still strange to be referred to as Prime Minister? How can you be a contemporary uh, uh, human being and not watch television? <laughs> I, don't, I don't own a TV. The best part of the job is I can talk to everybody yep. um, at, at any level, in any place. <laughs> and yeah, they I feel as though like they have got to talk to you. And, so. <laughs> and everybody's happy to have a chat to you.
0: Paul, tell me about the Prime Minister's interview with Sunrise.
1: This is uh, quite an interesting interview with Sunrise, uh, if for no other reason than it's like an aged wine.
0: Paul Bongiorno is a columnist for the Saturday paper.
1: It uh, was actually recorded a week ago. The Prime Minister sat down for a 25-minute interview with the Channel 7 breakfast show host, Koshy, more formally David Kosh. Well, among other things, uh, Morrison detailed what keeps him awake at night. He said the tension between China and the US was top of the list. This is going to be one of the most difficult periods in which to manage our relationships with some of the biggest powers in the world. And Australia is living in a part of the world which is the focus of all of this. He didn't really mind Kosh saying that we've got tension between our biggest customer and our closest friend.
0: And so how did he characterise Australia's relationship with China? He didn't shy away from it, you're saying?
1: Well, no, I mean, Morrison and indeed the government always are at pains to say we're partners uh, with China. We're even partners with China in trying to help developing countries in the Indo-Pacific develop. He praised Beijing's success in lifting millions of its own people out of poverty. I mean, why would we want to contain China's growth? Mm. I mean, that'd be a bit of a numpy thing to do, I would have thought.
0: So do Morrison outline a strategy for balancing this relationship between our ally and our biggest customer, China and the US?
1: Well, he said his ambition for the region was that everyone maintains their sovereign independence. And he'll be reaching out to neighbourhood democracies like India, Malaysia, Singapore, South Korea and Japan to do that. Of course, whenever an Australian prime minister talks in this way in Beijing, all they hear is containment, you know, a ring of steel around them type thing.
0: And what about the trade war between China and the US or the impact that that might have on Australia specifically?
1: Well, in the Sunrise interview, Morrison didn't demur when David Koch put it to him that the trade war could seriously stall world growth. Uh, Kosh used the word uh, recession, couldn't be ruled out. I think we're going to have to get used to this for a while. Right. Um, this level of tension, okay. and we've just got to accommodate that. We've got to absorb it. We've got to see the opportunities in it, uh, which there are many, and, uh, and we have to maintain the relationships with, yeah. that we have. The Reserve Bank Governor, Philip Lowe, is equally as pessimistic at the prospect that things could go horribly wrong... In a private business briefing that the Sydney Morning Herald uh, reported on, the Reserve Bank governor reportedly said, I don't have a clear idea of what strategy the US has. I think very few people do. That's a problem. Lowe said, some people in America say that it's time for Team West to muscle up against China, and that is very worrying.
0: Paul, this is a little off to the side, but I feel like every week we hear something from Philip Lowe. How common is it for the Reserve Bank Governor to be speaking fairly frequently, though I know this was in a closed meeting, about the state of the economy in this way?
1: Well, in this way is is obviously a development since Trump declared a trade war on China, and probably since the emergence, particularly of Donald Trump in Washington. But we should never forget the emergence of Xi Jinping in China is a major contributor to the discombobulation on the planet. But having said that, I think that Reserve Bank governors are independent by statute. I do think that we're seeing something unusual here, which... Probably goes to the fact that the Reserve Bank Governor is worried that the Morrison government is leaving too much of the heavy lifting on stimulating the economy to interest rates and is not doing enough on the fiscal side because come hell or high water, it's going to deliver a budget surplus next year.
0: Paul, do you think that Morrison grasps diplomacy and what it is that he has to do to balance our relationship with China and the U.S.?
1: Well, look, some in the uh, foreign affairs commentariat in Australia, some of the academics are a bit worried that Morrison and the Australian government don't get diplomatic nuance very well. But Morrison, like all his predecessors in Australia, has a balancing act between our national interests, our security interests, and our historic alliance with the United States. Morrison's real problem is, in Donald Trump, we have someone who is quite mercurial, unpredictable and narcissistic. Midweek, the Prime Minister announced that Australia had decided to join what he was at pains to describe as an international operation uh, in the Middle East to keep the shipping lanes open in the critical Strait of Hormuz. He pointed out that 30% of Australia's refined oil and 15% of our crude oil comes through that strait. Iran uh, has been interdicting ships as a way of retaliating against Trump's reneging on the Obama nuclear non-proliferation deal and the reimposition of crippling sanctions on Iran. But Morrison was doing real contortions at his press conference on Wednesday to say that keeping the shipping lanes open has got nothing to do with containing or constraining or attacking or backing Trump in his view of what to do with Iran. He was also at great pains to say it would be time limited. In fact, he put it out there that we'd be there for just uh, six months but look, we've heard all this before. You might remember 20 or so years ago, uh, the Coalition of the Willing, that was the United States, Britain and Australia. The three amigos are at it again. And as for time limitation, when well, we're still in the Middle East, 26 years after Bob Hawke sent us there.
0: We'll be right back.
1: The City of London in Andrew O'Hagan's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end, not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality independent journalism and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit theSaturdaypaper.com.au/offer.
0: The Saturday Paper. No hot takes.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Tomorrow I'll be travelling to Hanoi.
0: Paul, as we speak, Scott Morrison is in Vietnam. What's happening on that trip?
1: Our relationship with Vietnam has, has never been stronger. Well, this is the 1st standalone visit to Vietnam. In other words, Vietnam is the destination that was planned. So it's the first one by an Australian prime minister since Paul Keating went up there in 1994. He's having extended one-on-one meeting with his counterpart Nguyen Xuan Phuc, and all the trimmings of a full state visit, banquets, speeches to business leaders, visits to factories, things like that. It's worth remembering that our relationship, our commercial relationship with Vietnam has grown strongly, nearly 11% per annum over the last five years. Only our trade with India is growing at a faster rate. This is the crucial part, I think. It's not only that we're looking for alternative trading partners to China in rapidly expanding Vietnam, but Morrison also talks about a strategic partnership.
0: Vietnam Is a one-party socialist state, though. It's not part of Morrison's neighbourhood democracies, but it seems that in his mind it's still part of this set of sovereign, independent nations.
1: Well, sovereign independence in the sense that Vietnam is allowed to have its own autocratic communist (laughs) government and not have uh, the autocratic communist government of China run the place. I think he'd see it in those terms. Morrison sees Vietnam very much in the sort of terms that John Howard and other Australian Prime Ministers like Hawke and Keating saw China, you know, 20 years ago, rapidly emerging, developing a terrific customer and minding its own business, but prepared to do business with others. The whole world now, and Canberra is taking a more jaundiced view of China as it develops to the point of being the world's second largest economy. So in that context, Vietnam is therefore seen as a strategic as well as a business partner A bit of history. China dominated Vietnam for nearly 1,000 years. I heard one expert even say it was longer than that. The present communist regime is resisting anything that resembles a term to historic subservience. It's currently in fierce dispute with Beijing over islands and fishing rights in the South China Sea.
0: So this visit to Vietnam comes after a less successful trip to the Pacific Islands Forum. How do they compare and what happened?
1: Yes, this is uh, the trip that has the um, uh, foreign affairs boffins uh, in in our nation worried and indeed our opposition as well. There was a tense 12-hour negotiation at the forum at the weekend in which Australia insisted the Ka Anarchy 2 declaration for urgent climate change action Be watered down. Australia refused to agree to the description of the situation in the Pacific as a climate crisis. It argued and won the day that the word crisis shouldn't be used. So, the impact and the import of that is it weakened the position the Pacific Islands want to take to next month's United Nations climate meeting in New York. Still, the declaration did manage to note with grave concern, and I'm quoting here, with grave concern and fear for our collective future. It says, without urgent action, we will exceed 1.5 degrees as early as 2030 in the global climate and reach three degrees or more by the end of the century. And the Pacific Islands say this is the science talking, it's not them making it up. Vanuatu's Foreign Minister, Ralph Regan vanu who will host the forum next year, says Australia should come prepared to the next meeting, ready to make further tangible commitments on climate change. He said the Pacific calls on Prime Minister Morrison to lead on climate change. And he and other Pacific Island leaders are already wondering whether it's worthwhile still having Australia in the Pacific Island forums. Now, this is a really big call because Australia at $1.7 billion is the biggest donor to the Pacific Islands, and Morrison took up to Tuvalu a a half-a-billion-dollar package for climate remediation, you know, sandbags and things like that. Well, the Pacific Islands are saying, we can't be bought off like this, we need real action.
0: So, Paul, that was Tuvalu. Morrison is currently in Vietnam. Where is he headed to next?
1: Well, in the early hours of Sunday morning, Morrison will arrive at the French seaside resort city of Biarritz. He'll be there at the invitation of French President Emmanuel Macron, who's the host of the G7 Summit. Australia, along with India, South Africa and Chile, will participate in some of the sessions where seven of the world's richest democracies try to come to grips with contentious current issues. Again, this meeting may not be so comfortable for the Australian leader. One of the reasons Macron invited Morrison is because the climate action savvy Macron believes Australia needs a bit of a prod in this area, because Macron, like most of the G7, take climate change action more seriously than does Australia.
0: With business leaders and local communities. Let us work together in order to make our planet great again and create new jobs and new opportunities yeah. while safeguarding our Earth.
1: The other exception, by the way, is Trump's America. This week, The Guardian revealed that the United Kingdom's High Commissioner has already met with our Foreign Minister, Maurice Payne, and our Emissions Reductions Minister, Angus Taylor, to call for greater ambition on climate change.
0: So, Paul, is this government's position on climate change holding us back diplomatically then?
1: Well, it is, uh, and this this is certainly the view of the federal opposition. Penny Wong, the shadow foreign minister, says that our performance in Tuvalu, far from being the Pacific step-up, was the Pacific stuff-up. As long as you preside over an increase in Australia's emissions, you undermine our influence and make us more vulnerable in the region. And as long as you preside over an increase in Australia's emissions, your Pacific step-up will falter. It will fall short. The performance has seriously damaged our standing in the region, creating an opportunity for China to exploit. China had a delegate there who said soothing things of understanding the Pacific Island's concerns, and they were quite happy to take these expressions of sympathy and empathy at face value.
0: Why is it that you think the Morrison government hasn't increased its commitment to climate change? Why won't it do so?
1: Well, for several reasons, there is no doubt that our resource sector is a major contributor to our um, economy and to our national wealth, but more to the point, the coalition government is riven between the climate science deniers, the coal champions, and those who understand that while coal has a significant role to play in the years ahead, we should be embarking on a more serious transition to renewables, and we should prepare to phase coal right down over the next 30 years, there is no consensus at all within the government on this, and that's what, of course, has seen for the past decade an inability to come up with a cohesive energy policy.
0: And what about ideology within the coalition?
1: Well, I mean, uh, if you want to talk about ideology in this regard, I suppose you'd have to say the ideology is business is business, and making a buck is all you're really on about no matter how you do it.
0: Hmm. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programmes from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. This year, The Saturday Paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read The Saturday Paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper, the whole story. Elsewhere in the news, former Deputy Prime Minister and Nationals leader Tim Fisher has died, aged 73. Long underestimated by many Canberra commentators when he assumed the party's leadership in 1990, he was yesterday remembered as a singular character who led the Nationals through the early years of the Howard government. During that period, Fisher navigated his way through the gun control debate under considerable pressure. And withstood backlash and effigies from many within his own party. He also championed closer ties between Australia and Asia and opposed the ascension of Pauline Hanson's One Nation. Fisher quit politics in 2001 to spend more time with his young family. In his life after parliament, he worked as an executive in the tourism sector and held a four-year posting as ambassador to the Vatican. 7am is produced by Emil Klein, Ruby Schwartz and Atticus Basto with Michelle Macklem. Eric Jensen is our editor. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. If you've got a minute, please consider subscribing to the show through your favourite app or leave us a review if you listen on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps new people find the show and that's a huge help to us. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Kolas. See you next week.